section twenty of egypt africa and arabia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the world's story volume three egypt africa and arabia edited by eva march tappan section twenty karnak and the hall of columns by charles dudley warner the weather is almost unsettled there was actually a dash of rain against the cabin window last night over before you could prepare an affidavit to the fact and to-day is cold more or less cloudy with a drop only a drop of rain occasionally besides the wind is in the southwest and the sand flies we cannot sail and decide to visit karnak in spite of the entreaty of the handbook to leave this as the crown of all sight-seeing until we have climbed up to its greatness over all the lesser ruins perhaps this is wise but i think i should advise a friend to go at once to karnak and outrageously astonish himself while his mind is fresh and before he becomes at all sated with ruins or familiar with other vast and exceedingly impressive edifices they are certain to dull a little his impression of karnak even madam it is abd el ati who comes in rubbing his hands your carriage stops the way carriage yes ma'am i just make him the carriage was an armchair slung between two pushing poles between each end of them was harnessed a surly diminutive donkey who seemed to feel his degradation each donkey required a driver ahmed with his sleeves rolled up and armed with a big club walked beside to steady the swaying chair and to beat the boys when their donkeys took a fancy to lie down and a cloud of interested arabs hovered about it running with it adding to the noise dust and picturesqueness of our cavalcade on the outskirts of the mud cabins we pass through the weekly market a motley assemblage of country folks and produce camels donkeys and sheep it is close by the gawazi quarter where is a colony of a hundred or more of these dancing girls they are always conspicuous among egyptian women by their greater comeliness and gay apparel they wear red and yellow gowns many tinkling ornaments of silver and gold and their eyes are heavily darkened with coal i don't know what it is in this cold that it gives woman such a wicked and dangerous aspect they come out to ask for bakshish in a brazen but probably intended to be a seductive manner they are bold but some of them rather well-looking they claim to be an unmixed race of ancient lineage but i suspect their blood is no purer than their morals there is not much in egypt that is not hopelessly mixed of the mile-and-a-half avenue of sphinxes that once connected luxor with karnak we see no trace until we are near the latter the country is open and beautiful with green wheat palms and sycamores great karnak does not show itself until we are close upon it its vast extent is hidden 
by the remains of the wall of circuit by the exterior temples and pylons it is not until we have passed beyond the great but called small temple of rameses the third at the north entrance and climb the pyramidal tower to the west of the great hall that we begin to comprehend the magnitude of these ruins and that only days of wandering over them and of study would give us their gigantic plan karnak is not a temple but a city rather a city of temples palaces obelisks colossal statues it is like a city a growth of many centuries it is not a conception or the execution of a purpose it is the not always harmonious accretion of time and wealth and vanity of the slowness of its growth some idea may be gained from the fact that the hieroglyphics on one face of one of its obelisks were cut two hundred and fifty years after those on the opposite face so long ago were both chiselled however they are alike venerable to us i shouldn't lose my temper with a man who differed with me only a thousand years about the date of any event in egypt they were working at this mass of edifices sacred or profane all the way from osirtasen the first down to alexander the second that is from about three thousand sixty four b c according to mariette bunsen twenty seven eighty one wilkinson twenty eighty it doesn't matter to only a short time before our era there was a modest beginning in the plain but chaste temple of osirtasen but each king sought to outdo his predecessor until sethi the first forever distanced rivalry in building the great hall and after him it is useless for any one else to attempt greatness by piling up stones the length of the temples pylons and obelisks en suite from west to east is eleven hundred and eighty feet but there are other outlying and gigantic ruins i suppose it is fully a mile and a half round the wall of circuit there is nothing in the world of architecture like the great hall nothing so massive so surprising and for me at least so crushingly oppressive what monstrous columns and how thickly they are crowded together their array is always compared to a forest the comparison is apt in some respects but how free uplifting is a forest how it expands into the blue air and lifts the soul with it a piece of architecture is to be judged i suppose by the effect it produces it is not simply that this hall is pagan in its impression it misses the highest architectural effect by reason of its unrelieved heaviness it is wonderful it was a prodigious achievement to build so many big columns the setting of enormous columns so close together that you can only see a few of them at one point of view is the architecture of the great hall upon these big stones are put for a roof there is no reason why this might not have been repeated over an acre of ground neither from within nor from without can you see the extent of the hall footnote the great hall measures one hundred and seventy feet by three hundred and twenty-nine in this space stand one hundred and 
thirty-four columns twelve of these forming the central avenue of one hundred and seventy feet are sixty-two feet high without plinth and abacus and eleven feet six inches in diameter the other one hundred and twenty-two columns are forty-two feet five inches in height and about nine feet in diameter the great columns stand only fifteen or sixteen feet apart End of footnote. the best view of it is down the centre aisle formed by the largest columns and as these have height as well as bulk and the sky is now seen above them the effect is of the highest majesty this hall was dimly lighted by windows in the clerestory the frames of which exhibit a freedom of device and grace of carving worthy of a gothic cathedral these columns all richly sculptured are laid up in blocks of stone of half the diameter the joints broken if the egyptians had dared to use the arch the principle of which they knew in this building so that the columns could have stood wide apart and still upheld the roof the sight of the interior would have been almost too much for the human mind the spectator would have been exalted not crushed by it not far off is the obelisk which amunu het erected to the memory of her father i am not sure but it will stand long after the hall of sethi is a mass of ruins for already is the water sapping the foundations of the latter some of the columns lean like reeling drunken men and one day with crash after crash these giants will totter and the blocks of stone of which they are built will make another of those shapeless heaps to which sooner or later our solidest works come the red granite shaft of the faithful daughter lifts itself ninety-two feet into the air and is the most beautiful as it is the largest obelisk ever raised the sanctuary of red granite was once very rich and beautiful the high polish of its walls and the remains of its exquisite carving no less than the colours that still remain attest that the sanctuary is a heap of ruins thanks to that ancient shaker cambyses but the sculptures in one of the chambers are the most beautiful we have seen the colours red blue and green are still brilliant the ceiling is spangled with stars on a blue firmament considering the hardness of this beautiful cyanite and the difficulty of working it i think this is the most admirable piece of work in thebes it may be said of some of the sculptures here especially of the very spirited designs and intelligent execution of those of the great hall that they are superior to those on the other side of the river and yet there is endless theological reiteration here there are dreary miles of the same gods in the same attitudes and you cannot call all of them respectable gods the longer the religion endured the more conventional and repetitious its representations became the sculptors came to have a traditional habit of doing certain scenes and groups in a certain way and the want of life and faith in them becomes very evident in the sculptures of the ptolemaic period in this vast area you may spend days and not exhaust the objects worth examination 
on one of our last visits we found near the sacred lake very striking colossal statues which we had never seen before when this city of temples and palaces the favourite royal residence was entire and connected with luxor by the avenue of sphinxes and the great edifices and statues on the west side of the river were standing this broad basin of the nile enclosed by the circle of rose-coloured limestone mountains which were themselves perforated with vast tombs must have been what its splendid fame reports when it could send to war twenty thousand chariots but i wonder whether the city aside from its conspicuous temples and attached palaces was one of mud hovels like those of most peoples of antiquity and of the modern egyptians End of section twenty. This recording is in the public domain.